AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with the season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. So my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's how we own it! What's up, family? It's your girl, Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, a general... And we are your host of Street Politicians, the place, the place where, where the streets, streets and politics meet. What's up, Mike? How you doing? Yo, I'm blessed and highly favored, you know, doing God's work outside. You living life? You know, life is living me. Are you living the soft life? No, I ain't too soft over here, man. It's tough over here, man. Yo, let me tell you something. I have to be really honest about something that, you know, I, I I need to share this with you. I didn't, we really have not talked about this. You know, it's funny because some shows, I'm sure they coordinate things offline and then they get on a thing and they talk about, we just be talking about stuff. And, and you know, I'm really sad to say this, but I was in Harlem the other day and I was I was getting my hair done. So I went to go get some food from a seafood spot that we all love, right? I When I'm in Harlem, especially, I don't care if I'm in, if I'm at the tip by where the Polar Grounds Projects is in Harlem, right there where Bradhurst sort of ends, 
it's, it's, it's some wild things that go on over there. I used to be over there all the time. If there's food in Harlem, anywhere, as you know, even in the Bronx, I don't give a damn where it is. I'm going middle of the night, fur coat on, driving my nice car. I don't care. I go anywhere I want in New York City. But in Brooklyn, I don't really know Brooklyn and Queens like that. So of course, I'm going to go with somebody that I know from those areas. Those are just like, you know, that's just the code. If you go to somebody else's community, you don't really know where you at. You need to have somebody from that community move you around. But the Bronx and Harlem, I can go anywhere I want. I'm, I'm loved. I meet my, I know how to say things to my people to make them, to disarm them. When I see a bunch of guys standing outside of a store, I walk up, I'm like, what's up brothers? How y'all doing? We get the laughing, talking. Most of the time they get the flirting. I, I love my city, but I ain't gonna lie to you. When I was standing outside in Harlem, I, I went to, I was getting my hair done. I left and I went to walk to go get food. The first thing is, I walked down the street through this particular place and it's not even addicts. I'm, I've, I've been around addicts my entire life. I have been around people passing out from heroin, you know, doing the dip where they go all the way down there, down to the ground and bounce back up. I have seen addicts my entire life, but there is a mental health thing that's going on that I'm not used to, bruh. And, I, and I'm not going to lie, between walking down this one street and it was, it was just like a lot of people, they was screaming out and doing all of these things. And I felt so bad, like, oh my God, like, what are we doing? Like, what is happening for these people? They are suffering with all kinds of mental health issues. It's a social security um, office right around that corner where you're talking about. So a lot of them be going over there. Like for social well, and there's a methadone clinic somewhere around there too. So that's one thing. But then when I got on the avenue and I was in the restaurant, first of all, in the restaurant, at least two incidents popped off between the people behind the counter and the black people who was pissed off and they didn't get treated right. Or, you know, you always playing with me when I come in here. So that was going on. Okay. But I, you know, I can deal with that. I understand you stay out the way, whatever. When I went outside, because, you know, nobody really stands in the restaurant waiting for the food to be made. I'm not going to lie. I was mad uncomfortable. It was a lot of things going on. Yes. People yelling. Uh, one guy in his car. And I, and I, I felt nervous, not because anybody's going to do anything to me, because, by the way, there was a lady and her son at the bus stop. They noticed me and we started talking and the mother was taking pictures. And so but while she's taking pictures. I'm watching what's going on because it's six or seven different things popping off on different corners and people yelling and this going on. And I'm like, yo, outside is a little touchy. It's not the same environment out here right now. No, it's, it's dangerous. You know, um, I walk through, you know, outside a lot and especially in that area you're talking about. And it's it's a lot going on. Like it's, it's, it's drug addicts, but it's definitely mental. Mental health is a real big thing like really big thing, you know, I, I, it's some of them that I see normally every day. Like I go to the gym and this and that, and you just see, especially in the Bronx and Harlem, it's a real deeply rooted mental health thing. Even the people that are like hustling on the corners, 
like you know the um little it's the the vendors the street vendors they they are dealing with mental health and it's just like it's really crazy it's it's like i never i don't think maybe it was always happening or maybe it wasn't or we just didn't pay attention but i just think no, that no, i'm no. way more alert i don't i'm just saying i'm not because i don't want to know i don't know if i'm right or no wrong, no it wasn't I'm no alert. i'm telling you i'm telling you i never had a feeling the other thing i felt a way about when i saw it was a little thing going on this one kid he was going back and forth with the girl and then something and i was worried like yo I don't know what could happen right here and how other people around, because God forbid he starts fighting with this girl coming from what I come from and they were younger. I'm not going to stand here and watch him beat this girl up. Like I, I can't do it. It's not in me. So now that's a whole other element of you preaching to people. Why are you standing around filming and doing nothing? And then when you're put in a situation, how are you going to respond? Because there was a man on the train in our news segment. I was going to talk about it, but I might as well bring it up now. You know, there was a man on the train who was trying to break up a fight between people and he got stabbed just the other day. I don't know if he if he died. I hope not. But I know he got stabbed. I turned from the story because I couldn't even take it. And I know that there are more less and less people who are willing to help you, which is why I can't even take the train because, well, by the way, the train is a disaster. Every person that I know, all of our good friends that take the train to work every day, they're talking about the amount of penises they see, the women that have no underwear, no, just a t-shirt on, walking it's through the train. All the people with mental health is on the train. They all living down there in the, in the subway, um, masturbating, all kinds of craziness, people snatching food, people, you know, making you feel uncomfortable. I can't take the train for more reasons than one. Obviously, I can't just be moving about the city any kind of way. But also, I don't believe that anyone is going to help me in the event that something happens. I don't think that people are going to help me because look at look at the examples of what we've been seeing and this man that got stabbed. But here's the last part of my little story. So then, the, so this is the daytime when I'm going. And you know, I don't know, you don't know a lot about weaves, but it takes hours from when they take it out your head, wash your hair, treat your hair, braid your hair, and re-sew it in, and then style it hours you could easily do five or six hours so when i started it was hair removed washed ready to be braided so now i'm going to the store to get something to eat that's the process all, all the girls that do this we know but by the time i'm finished it's nighttime and i'm leaving the salon walking to my car first thing i gotta deal with is rats running everywhere and that's not a Harlem problem as it's an everywhere problem okay it's all over New York it's you don't live nowhere you can't live downtown you can't be on Fifth Avenue and not see a rat it's not going it's nowhere that you go that you're not gonna see rats so I got to deal with that it's rats that's so that's my first thing it's dark right nobody's really around the people that are out there they still the same people that's outside then as I'm going to my car, now it's young people out there looking like they getting ready to get into a fight and I'm worried about stray bullets. So I, I, all I'm saying, and by the way, 
just so everybody knows, because I know they're going to say, well, you want to defund the police. It was cops everywhere and they're not doing nothing, nothing. Nobody was doing nothing. The cops ain't doing nothing. Nobody's helping the mentally ill people. The people is over there. The cop car is sitting down here. He on the phone. He's texting. He's hanging out. He's chilling. And the people, the, the, the person that's on the ground uh, having an attack, half dressed, no shoes on their feet, they right there. So the cops ain't doing nothing about that. The kids that's fighting, the cops was right there. There's a precinct nearby. All of this stuff is happening still right there in the, with the police sitting in the middle of the, in the community. So that can't possibly be the solution. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really bad, you know. And, and I don't know why they think giving more police, like we have to have mental health facilities. There needs to be people that going into these train stations, going into certain areas and, and you know, really interacting and, and getting these people services and bringing them to the facilities and like figuring out how to help these people because locking them up and saying, get out of here so they can go to down the block and, you know, and do whatever it is, it's not helping. You know, it's, I, 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 I see what you're saying. Trust me, I've watched a lot of mental health situations. It's a guy that, that goes to the gym and sometimes, when he's not at the gym, I'll just see him walking through the hood and he just be talking to himself and shaking his head and he be doing this little dance he does. Like he's stopping in the middle of the street and he go in the gym and he's talking to himself the whole time. He don't say nothing. He's kind of brolic too. And it's just like, he's in his own world. He, he doesn't look like he's harming nobody, but you definitely know that he's dealing with issues. And it's like, where's his home? Where's his people? And he looks like, I don't even know he, I don't know if he has a membership. They just let him in. It's just the weirdest thing, man. Just watching how these things, how you know, how certain people are dealing with things, and and our community aren't doing that doesn't have anything in place to help them. Listen, it's a lot of weird things out here, and you're right. We don't have enough. It's not enough, and I feel like. I'm sitting over here, you know, I'm a big baby. I just want to start crying like in the midst of this damn interview because that's, I grew up born and raised in Harlem. It's my place. And when I start feeling uncomfortable in my place, there's a problem. There's a problem. And I guess a part of it is that we have to be uncomfortable so we can start regrounding ourselves and going back to these places and these experiences and figuring out what's next. So it, it makes me, and I, I've already done it. I've sent several text messages to different people in the city, like, bruh, like what, what, what is going on here? Like, how are we gonna get to a better place? We can't just keep saying we're working on it. There has to be some actual like real shit to happen. And these people that are out there on the streets, I never forget seeing, you know, over the years, how many of the people I've watched go from the very projects I grew up in to those streets, looking the same way, going, you know, drugs, mental health, prostitution, all these things. And I know for sure that if there were services at the, in the projects, right? If there were real service, and I'm not talking about Miss Mary, that when you go to talk to Miss Mary, she like, what? What you want? I don't know. What's your problem? Well, where's your husband? Well, where's your baby father? Oh, another one got locked up? Because that's how they speak to you. Oftentimes, when you go to social services, when you go to, uh, when you go to, to any place, the damn precinct, the, wherever you're trying to get help, the people there treat you like 
you're the problem. And like they work, they somehow, you work for them or you doing them a disservice by coming to them with the problem that they are supposed to be fixing. If we had services at the projects level, how many of the friends that I've had or the people that I know would never have made it to those streets? And it's like, it's such a simple problem to address. I'm not saying it's a simple problem to fix, but it's a simple problem to address. We know how to do it and we just choose not to. And it's just, you know, I'm just, I'm over people. And they ask me like, oh, why didn't you weigh in more on this last election? You didn't do this and you didn't do that. I just ain't feeling it. I'm not gonna lie. Just, I'm not feeling it. And I understand my, I get it. It's dangerous. I get the people that we were up against. I get, I get, I understand it all. But I'm still, I'm struggling with looking at these realities and trying to go vote for people that the same shit continues. So anyway, moving along. In Texas, speaking of people who are nuts, in Texas, do you know that they now have a DNA test that can be used to test the bodies of people in mass shootings? <laughs> like, yo, bruh, instead of getting, instead of figuring out- yeah, me. <laughs> They got a, a DNA test that is be, it can be used now to find your loved ones in a mass shooting. So instead of getting rid of the guns, that's to well, not getting rid of, limiting access to the weapons that are used to kill the people, they got a DNA test so you can find the people after they die. So they, 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 so they figured out a way that they're going to profit off the mass shooting. Because the only reason you would need that DNA test is if a mass shooting happens. So that means that they are actually telling you, we're going to make sure that these mass shootings keep going on. So that we No, don't say that. That's what, what do you mean? They're not trying to make sure they keep going on. They so just ain't trying to do anything about them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We, well, we, even if we're not going to make sure... We're not going to stop them from going on. So we know they're going to continue to go on. So we're going to know we're going to need these DNA tests. So we're going to accommodate the mass killing. That's instead it. Instead of figure and out how to. And we're going to make it easier for you. To find your loved one. Make sure it's easier for you. Because mass killing is going to keep happening. Because we ain't going to do nothing about this gun. So we're going to make sure that when they happen, we got you. We make sure you know who's your loved one amongst the caucus it's a shame and it's 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 like you said you always say there's so many things going on that's crazy it's like you could be just like this all day it's overstimulation that's why you can't be being on internet but the, and another thing is that um lord have mercy the bbls honey the bbls the bbl BBL is a big deal, right? And there was a time when a lot of people didn't get them because they were killing people. I mean, really like a lot of people dying. But now it's not as much in terms of casualties. Mm -hmm. They get them done. But good work is a new problem. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and there's a woman that they've been uh, past, uh, circulating on, uh, her story has been circulating on social media where it's been several weeks now, where she went to go get a BBL and they took her kidneys. Like, yo, bruh, I never even thought about that. 
I've never even thought about that. Obviously, I've never had a BBL, but I have been under the knife for different reasons. And I can tell you that um, I never thought that about when I go to sleep, could they take my organ? Taking your kidney is crazy. That's crazy. They only took one. They said they took one kidney, not both. Oh, okay. Well, they took one of her kidneys. Well, shit. One. Oh, well, thank you. You know what? That was nice of them. They left her with one kid. But organ, organ, what is it? Like organ stealing? That's not the word. It's an actual term for it. But organ harvesting, organ harvesting, illegal organ harvesting is, it's massive. Like there's a whole lot of money in people getting people's organs. I watched a movie one time about it where this woman, like her husband found her heart, but, and she was all kind of like the whole time she's like, bro, like, I don't know where you got this heart from. I've been on the list now for, you know, 10 years or whatever time. And all of a sudden you pop up with this heart, come to find out a woman in their same community went missing. And when they finally found her, her heart had been removed and the lady ended up connecting it and figured out that her husband paid these people to go take the lady's heart, kill the lady and steal her heart to save his wife. That it's like, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. So anyway, people need to be real careful. And, I ho- and I'm glad and it supposedly happened in the Dominican Republic, but it's good for those stories to come out because it makes you think twice. Like, are you sure that this is something that you have to do for whatever reason, because these things can happen to you. It's like I said, may not be dying as much, but these bad jobs and these oversized asses, whoo, <clears throat> yo, I was walking in the supermarket one day and a lady walked past me and her ass was so big, her back looked like it was falling down on the ground. Her ass was crazy, but she had all kinds of shots her lips were stretched it was i said this is really yes yeah, it's tough out here man they out here doing some shit. i like that though y'all love them that's we why they get it done the thing is we don't the, 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 that's not that's not actual factual and we're trying to we've been trying to tell women there's a lot of men out here saying is you're going too far you're doing too much it's not working it doesn't look good if you got two basketballs as an ass and your 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 legs look like you know, number two pencils is not working. You look like Ant-Man. You know, if you're out here and your eyelashes from here to here, is you look like Pikachu. You're not but they're looking. doing it because somebody likes oh, they're it. They're doing it because they're confused. There's a confusion. Like, I don't know what you, like, there are, I mean, there are jobs, there are BBLs that certain women good and they were, oh, shit, this should look good. It's proportionate, you know, it's voluptuous, it works. But there's certain ones that you don't even know what they think is what is going on in their mind. And you got to act. You don't even I don't even know the dude that is sitting there like, yeah, that's what, when you show them you're like this, is what I'm getting They're like, yeah, that's get that one. Like I, I want to know the dude that's sitting there that's authorizing some of these. Women. Oh, no, it's men. That's, that, there are men that's like make it big. They like big booties. They uh, pay you know for these surgeries. Uh, I'm saying some of these surgeries don't even look like they paid for. They look like somebody volunteered. Like they're going to the volunteers. They're going to the volunteer to, to on the oh. job training. They're like, yo, listen, you know how you do certain things. And they like, we're gonna have the, the mm-hmm. trainees do things so they give it to you for free. It's certain things that, you know, haircuts and all that. Like you can go to certain <laughs> places and get free haircuts because they got to do he experimenting on you 
and you just got to take what he gets so you can't be mad so i think a lot of these bbls is in those services like the dude he's trying to become a surgeon he ain't never did nothing he said yo you sign over a waiver if you die you know just understand this is fresh new people and they giving bbls to people so no, make, George, not in the u.s George, not man. in the u.s when they go out of the country that's true but in the u.s you gotta kind of have like, george sampson george sampson he just came off the streets he was smoking weed he's like you know what i want to be a doctor and he's taking an online course <laughs> And some of these chicks have volunteered to let George Sampson. Well, they were letting those women in their basements give them them shots. Yeah, I'm trying to tell you. That's crazy, though. Like, wow. Like, I get it. I get it. We all want to look good. We want to, you know, but you don't look good. So that's what I'm saying. That's why you're defeating the purpose because you actually want to look good. And if that's what you want to do, then this ain't it. Anyway, we've got a guest, a good guest. So oh man, this guest for the ages. I'm so because I've been interviewed by her so many times and admire her. She's a good friend of mine. Now I get to ask some questions. I'm trying to get yeah. my, you know, my let's own. get into it right now. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. Woo! 
As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's how we own it! So here we go again, Mr. Lennon, with our friends. Um, You know, this is a special friend, though, for for us, for me. I remember some time ago, uh, years ago now, you were like, no, you got to get connected with Angela Yee. There was a few people that you were like, nah, these these are the folks that you need to be talking to. And the friendship that we've developed over time, all of us together, has been like a family. It's so important to have people, your people out here. Um, that you can call on and 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 work with. And so today our friend is joining us on Street Politicians. And she's never been a guest. And I don't know how that happened, but I'm super, super, super duper excited to have Angela Yee, who's a co-host on The Breakfast Club. She's one of the co-hosts. And I guess it's actually her show, Lip Service, which I'm expecting that to go super, super global because it's already something that I, it's my little, it's my little dirt little secret entertainment that I have to watch. 
This is a social entrepreneur. The woman is in real estate, got juice bars, coffee shops, all types of businesses, and, and is also a mentor to even people like me who are trying to learn how to get into the business of real estate. Thank you so much, Angela Yee. Our family, our sister, our friend, thanks for being a guest on Street Politicians. What an amazing introduction. <laughs> Thank you. I would never listen. Me and Tamika are friends. I'm definitely not her mentor. I look to her like to see what's going on. And I appreciate when you guys both you and my son pull me into things and conversations that are important. So I look to y'all for that. Yeah. Well, listen, man, you know, I've known you for years and just admired your growth from, you know, I remember doing lip service years ago, and just watching before Breakfast Club before all these things and you know, just watching you just mature into just badass, you know what I'm saying? Just doing all the things that you're doing. So I just want to say that I'm proud of you and I love what you've evolved into. So I want to say that first. Well, thank you. Oh, you guys. <laughs> so you are definitely badass. And when I say the mentorship thing, like you were the first person that started telling me, listen, sis, like bags and shoes is cool, but we need to buy real estate. We've got to get investments. And while I have not necessarily gotten into um, real estate like the way that I want to, I've been mm -hmm. investing in things like plays um, and just other important moves that I'm trying to make. But you helped me to see like there is a whole financial literacy side that us pool girls have to be focused on. It's not just what's on us. It's like, you know, what's in our bank accounts, what we're putting into our minds, investing in ourselves. And you were really one of the first people to start talking to me about it. So that is mentorship. And it's nothing wrong with the fact that in life, each one of us, we take moments when we bring our skills up. That's what friendships are about. And I always say, we, we have this statement, if you can't be used, you're useless, right? Useless. Like, you're useless, right? Like everybody needs to be able to use their friends, but in a positive way and give back. And that's the problem. So many people want, I'm sure you have people around you that want, but then they don't want to pour back in. Yeah. And at some point you got to take responsibility for who you're around too, because mm -hmm. you know, it's that whole fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me type of situation. Yeah. Right. And I do say that too. I feel like when it comes to friendships, I need to have people around me who are smarter than me at other things. So it might be things that I bring to the table, but then there's things that somebody else brings to the table that I'm like, wow, I never thought about that. And also people who aren't like, oh, you shouldn't do that. That's not going to work. Or let's figure out how we can make this work. Or let me introduce you to this person. And I feel like sometimes, and I never used to think this until recently, but friendships do have to be sometimes intentional right? Mm -hmm. Where you meet somebody or you see somebody and you're like, that looks like an amazing person that I should know. And I would like to get to know better because I feel like, and you know, I don't know, sometimes it's not a friendship, but more like a relationship right. that you can feel like this is something that could mutually benefit both of us. But, you know, that is something that I feel like I've learned later in life is important because a lot of times we feel really an obligation to stay around the same people that we've been around. You don't want to feel like you changed up. You want to say, okay, I've known this person for X, Y, Z, even if 
they're not growing the way that you're growing, or even if they're a negative part of your life. And every time you're talking to them, it's like, oh, this is dragging me down. You still feel this obligation where you don't want to feel like you're leaving somebody behind. But sometimes for your own sanity, if that person is not good for you, then you don't need to be around them. You can be cool from a distance. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, I mean, I know so much about just being around you and knowing about your career and just seeing, but I don't, I don't think I've ever really heard like the beginning, like what was, where did you start? Where did you come from? Like, I want to get a little background. I want to interview you because you're usually interviewing everybody else, asking the good questions and the tough ones. So I want to know that, like, where did you start as a little girl? Like, give me a little background. Well, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm from Flatbush. And so my parents growing up, they were married from when I, you know, they, they got married. They had my brother. Um, my mom was actually pregnant when they got married and then they had me right after. So my brother's like a year and three months older than me. So they had us kind of back to back and we grew up in Flatbush, two family house. My grandparents lived downstairs. My grandparents are from the island Montserrat and my mom, my brother and I, um, and my dad lived upstairs. And so I grew up like having to go to church in Harlem every single week because my grandfather and my grandmother were super religious um they moved back to the West Indies left the house for my mom and my dad and me and my brother so we ended up staying there and the reason why we moved out of Brooklyn to New Jersey to South Orange when I was 15 years old was because somebody tried to rob my dad at gunpoint while he was walking the dog and so he was like we got to get out of here and so we ended up moving to New Jersey and I was like so depressed but um that's you know, I grew up going to public school from kindergarten to sixth grade, PS 235 in Brooklyn, learning is alive. And then I ended up going to private school. I went to poly prep because my mom went to Erasmus and she really didn't want me going to Erasmus. So they put me in this program for underprivileged kids that were really smart. And we had to take like all these tests to get in. And then they sent me to private school. Okay. Mm, to private school. Yeah. So you, you, I went to private school as well. Do you and so you live in the community or do you feel like you live so like on the outskirts or did you live like in the urban areas where the shit was going down? Oh, it was going down. I mean, I lived in Flatbush, like two blocks from Sears. So anybody who knows that neighborhood in Brooklyn, um, it was definitely going. It was like block parties on the block every year. So much fun. But, you know, gunshots at night, you could hear them you know, fireworks, random times all the time. But I grew up there. So you don't think of things as like, this is not a good neighborhood or a good place to be. This is all you know. And so when I was growing up, it really was all I knew. And then people would be like, you live where? You grew up where? They couldn't believe it. Yeah. But it was I had the same experience because it was like, you know, going to Catholic school and doing all of these things outside of the community. When I would come back, do you feel like people... Did you get picked on or did you feel awkward because you were getting these to this sort of dual experience? I would say that growing up, I was perfectly fine in my neighborhood. It wasn't until I left to go to private school that I felt awkward when mm -hmm. I was in seventh grade. And I went from an experience of being in a community with all Black people, a lot of Caribbean culture there, you know, Haitian, Guyanese, Trini, Jamaican, all of that around us. And then I moved. Well, no, then I went to private school and I had never, I really did not. I knew two white people mm -hmm. <laughs> before that, besides my teachers, they were twins and their mom was a teacher at the school. 
And other than that, I did not know any white kids until I went to private school. And these were not just like regular, these were kind of rich, spoiled white kids in Bay Ridge. And you have to think that neighborhood is like, you know, there's a lot of Italian people. It was all like Italian Jewish. There were some Greek students. and, And so it was definitely a culture shock for me. And they weren't used to us either. So there's a handful of black kids. It's a small school. And it was just, it was a weird experience for me. I actually only went there. I went there from seventh grade to ninth grade. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. It was really bad. So what if did you, you had, Can I ask a question real quick, Mike, before you said, if you had a baby, would you do the same thing that the, your parents did with you in terms of education? I would want my kids to go to a school that's more diverse. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like it had its benefits as far as smaller classes and then sports. Poly Prep had a great sports program. I mean, we had tennis courts. We had, you know, squash courts. We had soccer field. I played field hockey. I ran track. I played basketball. I did the long jump, the triple jump, the high jump. And so all of that physical activity was great because I don't feel like I was encouraged to do that when I was in public school, but I feel like they were so, we had to play a sport. It was no choice. You had to. And so I got really into sports and I enjoy, and I appreciated that. I appreciated the smaller classes and the electives Mm -hmm. and the attention that the teachers gave you, because I feel like in public school, I had most of the teachers that I had were not amazing. I had a few that stood out, but I had teachers who told me I wasn't going to be shit. You know, when I was, and that didn't really happen in private school. I had one teacher that was like, you think when I was in the program, she was like, you think you're so special because you're in this program, you're not going to be anything. And I really feel like it has to be a balance though, because culturally it was tough. I think about some of the black kids that went to my high school that never went to public school or were not around a lot of kids that look like them and just how sheltered that life was and how different it can be. And so I do think it's important. I always say a lot of people will be like (laughs) super pro-Black, but then they send their kids to school where the kids are the only Black kids in the whole school. Mm -hmm. And I don't know who you think your kids are going to wind up being with later in life if they're never exposed, you know, to anything else. So there's just got to be some type of balance. I think that you can find schools that are more diverse and it doesn't have to be like because we were in the middle of Bay Ridge and it was a lot of racist things. I mean, a lot of it came out in the news, but a lot of racist things happened and it was a tough environment to be in. I think I was fortunate that I had the background that I had where I knew who I was and how I grew up and I had my own friends outside of that. But if I would have just grew up in that bubble, I remember one of the white girls at school telling me, you know, she said something racist in the locker room. And I was like, well, you know, I'm black. And she was like, well, yeah, but you're not like them. Mm. And I just, after that, I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> that must have been an experience. So you went, you left that school and then you went to what school? So then I went to public school. I went back to public school in Jersey. I went to Columbia High School in Maplewood. And That's so that was you a- Jennifer Williams? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. You know, <laughs> Jennifer. <laughs> so I'm- I moved there in 10th grade and so yeah we have a mutual friend Jennifer you don't know her from basketball wives so when I moved to New Jersey and it was I'm gonna tell you when I moved there I did not know not one person and so I remember the day we moved I walked around the neighborhood and I was in the park I just started crying I was so sad and depressed like where am I I didn't have any idea how far it was I really had never other than going to visit my grandparents in the West Indies I had never 
really left Brooklyn, you know? So I didn't know, I don't even think I knew anything about New Jersey. I didn't comprehend, like I could get on the train and go right back (laughs) to Brooklyn. I just thought I was cut off from everything and everybody. And so the first day of school, I didn't know the teachers were on strike. And so I get to the school, all the teachers are outside picketing. So I can't even like register for classes. So they had us all sitting in the auditorium watching Roots all day. That was my first day of school. Yeah, nothing got done. And then they just put me in a random homeroom and we just sat in homeroom all day. And that was the beginning of my school year. And then that's how I met all, like I really kind of met all of my friends who I'm still friends with to this day, kind of in that first week of, you know, non-school. Jennifer was one of them. Wow. That's that's great. So what made you, how did you get to do what you do? Say, I want to be a host. I want to do radio. Like what, what inspired you to do that? Well, I actually never thought I would be doing this. I was always more of a background type of person. So I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to, I was doing marketing at the time. So I was doing freelance marketing for different companies. And then I started working for Eminem's clothing line and I was doing marketing for that. And then I saw that um, one day I was just like, let me look at this uh, jobs listing. Cause I had to figure out what I needed to do. I had to get like a stable situation to make money to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, let me figure out what I want to do. So I look at all these job listings and I see Sirius has a job opening in the marketing department. And so I call Paul Rosenberg, M's manager. And I'm like, Hey, I really want to, um, you know, try to get an interview. Can you just link me up with the interview? And he was like, have you ever thought about being a radio personality? They're looking for a co-host on Cypher Sounds morning show. And he was like, you can audition for that if you're interested. And that's really how it happened. Uh, so you were going for a marketing job. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, I thought you were like very intentional about being a host. <laughs> so oh. that was, it just happened. It, and I, when I tell you, I knew not a thing. Okay. <laughs> I walked in there first Cypher Sounds had no idea what was going on he was kind of blindsided too when I just showed up like he was like who is what he knew me you know because I actually had a lot of great relationships I had worked for Wu-Tang like I said I had been working for Eminem I was doing marketing for different brands like um the marketing company I was at they did marketing for Averex for Sprint um Wireless for the New York Liberty for Heineken. So I was familiar with so many people in the industry. And I was also like a party kid growing up. So I was always at the tunnel. I was always at the Palladium. I was at Grant's Tomb. I was at all of the events in the city. So listen, I was. No, go ahead. No, I was super outside. I was like, I had an itinerary. You know what I'm saying? Like Thursday night here, Thursday night here, Friday night here, Saturday, I was outside. And, and they all knew me in the clubs. Like I didn't have to wait on any lines and I was young. It wasn't like I had any real whatever, but you know, Thank Jessica you. Rosenblum knew me. And so anything she did, she was like, Angela, come to this. We're having something for, you know, Biggie, a, a thing his mom is putting together the foundation, like come. And so they would just invite me to everything. And you were already how- tapped in, you was tapped into the culture. So it's not like yeah. it was just this new face but radio was different. Tell me something though, when you say you was doing marketing, what did marketing look like at that time? In you know, in your realm, yeah, you, you laughing cause you know, like I, what did it look like? What were you doing? Well, depending on what the client was. So let's just say I did marketing for a couple of clothing lines, um, Varsity and Shot Brothers. 
And then also um, Shady Limited, M&M's line was one of my clients. And so basically that consisted of a lot of product placement because everybody wanted to get their stuff like in magazine shoots and videos just to get people wearing it. If you were going on tour, I might send you a package, try to get you to, you know, get photographed in the clothing. And so that was a huge part of it was the product placement. But then it would be like ads, you know, and how, how are we going to get write-ups about this? So it, was, it just kind of involved everything. And then mm-hmm. now Rogers, he had a distribution label. So I was doing marketing for there. He had this one hip hop group that he wanted me to help him with. And so that was a matter of getting them, like they wanted me to get them into events, get them known, get them some uh, link ups with some journalists. So it was things like that. And so I think nowadays it's completely different. It's very different. It's, it's very, different. that was the real marketing work you were doing. Yeah, that's you what you had yes, you had to have relationships. You ain't just have to, be on the internet and just send some music that was already going. You had to really create it. So you went from, you started working with Cypher Sounds and then when did you start doing lip service? How did that come about? So I used to have this segment on um, on Cypher Sounds show. It was every Wednesday. So what I would do is I would record it once a month and it would be like a group of girls. You know, one of them was a receptionist. One of them was a lawyer. And I would just get like different girls. We had Buffy the Body on there. We had Heather Hunter. And we would just kind of talk about sex. And it was called Slut It Out. It was a segment once a week. (laughs) But I had a reason, you know, for that name. Like, you know how some, like, it was kind of like the thought was that, a lot of times guys think that women are supposed to act a certain way and not talk about things, but the way we are behind closed doors with each other and the conversations that we have are really just open and we're so vocal about things. I think women talk about their experiences in a different way than men speak to each other. Y'all might not even talk about it like that, but I think for women, like when you're with a guy, and whatever happens, you'll call your friends to be like, girl, so let me tell you what he did. And I don't like that he did this and then he did that. But it, and so it was kind of the goal of the show was for us to have these open conversations about sex and sexuality, no judgment. And I called it slutted out because I was like, these guys don't know they're getting slutted out. So that was kind of the purpose of it. No offense, my son. But no, um, I know I'm kidding. <laughs> but the segment got so popular that, um, you know, Serious came to me and they were like, listen, Angela, we think you should make this like a standalone show. We want to give you a weekly show. And that's how it happened. And we named it Lip Service. And my first co-host was um, Leah Rose. She was the music editor at XXL. And so she was great at helping book guests. And she was really smart. And she had great questions. And people had good relationships with her already. Wow. So what year was that? What year did it start? I don't even know. Let me see. I worked at Sirius for six years. And so uh, it was probably like around 2006 or seven. That's, yeah, I remember, cause I think I came up there like 2008, 2009 with Vlad. That was like the first time that I went up there. Wow, so. I feel like I put, I did Vlad's first interview on the radio ever. Remember when- I think um, so. yeah, he was, you, yeah. You, did, you did the first interview. So then, how? So now we going. We're at the Breakfast Club. Did we get there yet? No, we didn't get oh, no. there. Yet. Oh, okay. So what what happens before the Breakfast Club? So I think Sirius was really good for me, just as far as establishing myself. Um, like my son said, I met him. He was, you know, he was working with Vlad. I probably met you before that, but I did Vlad's first interview, and I was the type of person like something would happen. 
because that was around the time he had the beef with Rick Ross, you know, and then he had some issues. And I think I was just so like doing whatever at that time. I would do stuff like Vlad's here. I'd be like, well, we got Joe Button on the phone. And <laughs> it would be crazy. He would be like, what? <laughs> totally yeah. caught up. He just throw you over with questions all the time. Yeah, so I was very uncensored back then, but it got a lot of attention. And one thing I also did do early on, I was really um, cool with Q from Worldstar, who owned Worldstar, rest in peace to Q. And so I had, he would put a lot of my videos on Worldstar. So I would, I had um, one of the guys that worked with us, Sean, he would film, I bought my own uh, camcorder. And so he would film when we did interviews, that Sirius was so mad about it. They sent out like a company-wide email, like no one is to put out any content or whatever. They shut it down because they didn't like that I was giving away content for free. I looked at it like these are just little parts of the show that will make people want to subscribe. To me, it was like in my marketing bag, I'm thinking this is great marketing for the show. This is just, you know, 30 minutes out of a four hour show. You should want this to go out. And it was getting picked up everywhere, you know. And so that's what really got me a lot of attention. So, so you so, okay, so that got you known. So how what's the what is the process of getting to a big show like The Breakfast Club? Like, how does that work? Were you into you know, did you know that the show was coming or did they build the show around y'all? How did it start? So what happened was um I was getting a lot of other offers like Philly, Atlanta. People wanted me. And mm -hmm. after after everything that was happening at Sirius, I got a lot of attention from other places. And one person who hit me up was G-Spin. G-Spin at the time worked at Power 105. Now at the time, he tried to get me to come to Power just to do like weekends and to fill in for people. Like if somebody was out, you know, you could fill in. And Sirius shut me down. And I was so mad. I was like, everyone else is working at other stations. Why, you know, they were like, oh, well, they got grandfathered in and you can't do it. And I thought it was so unfair. So I told G-Spin, look, if there's an opportunity for me to get a full-time job, don't think that I feel like I have to stay as serious. Like I'm willing to leave and do something else. And so, you know, there was an opportunity and they didn't tell us what it was at first. They knew they wanted to hire me. They just didn't know in what capacity, like, were they going to put me on a day show and give me a show then? But then when they realized they were going to redo the whole morning show, they called me, Envy, and Charlemagne in together for a meeting. They had to talk to each of us individually. And then they called us in together to let us know that we were going to do the new morning show. And I literally had to sign my contract, like, that same day. And that's how it happened. So I had to have my lawyer look at it. I didn't sign. I was the last one to sign because I was like, I'm not just signing this, you know, and I had to have my lawyer look at it. And then I didn't get everything back until the evening. And so when the evening came and I had, you know, some responses, a little bit of back and forth. And then I finally um, ended up signing. So you made sure that business was straight. You know? I will always. <laughs> that's just Listen. what you do. You're very much business oriented. Like that's just how, and I, and, and, and you've said that like, you don't let these things stop you from moving, but you still are very, very conscious of doing the business as well. Where did you, you get that? You think that that came from your upbringing in terms of where, you know, how you've been educated I think it's me just seeing other people sign messed up deals and feeling like I didn't want to do that. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it was easier for me to learn from the mistakes of others. And I've signed deals that 
I mean, I could think of one in particular that I never should have done, but I, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. But I'm also the type of person that will honor a deal that I signed. So if I did sign this deal, I'll honor it. And I always try to get like the shortest deal possible because I think when you have a lot of confidence in yourself and you know that, okay, I'm not wanting to feel tied into something, then you know that a shorter deal is better because then it's, you can renegotiate when it's time. Mm -hmm. And so I've always been a fan of doing like a short, some people like longer deals for the stability of it, but I've always felt like I've laid down the groundwork that I could leave and I don't feel like I have to rely on any one thing. And I think that's an important way to feel. I never want to feel, even if things wouldn't have worked out for me to go over to, you know, the breakfast club, I still had a job. It wasn't like I was, you know, didn't have anything or didn't have other opportunities. I had other places that I could have went. That was just the best one for me. And so I, I think it's good to feel like you have options and never feel like I have to do this or nothing. Mm. So, so my question is like Breakfast Club is probably like one of the biggest shows in history like in the world. Like, has it always has it been fun? Has it been ups and downs? Like, because when people look at it just from the outside looking, it's like, oh, look, they got the biggest show. They just don't like what is your perspective? Has it been because it has it always been like the top show that was there turmoil to relate like, fuck this show. Y'all ain't doing the numbers like what is the, the behind the scenes kind of look? Oh, it was awful at first. It almost didn't last. They didn't think that we were going to make it past like the year two. And so it sometimes you do have to give things a chance and let it get over the hump. And we did have some people that believed in us. I think our online presence is what saved us too. We were really ahead of everything when it came to putting content online. We would do these little skits. And so it really set the tone for us to also be syndicated because we were doing these skits. So even if you weren't in New York, you were able to see what was happening and things are different back then. It's not like we had streaming services. It's not right. like we had apps like we have them now. So if you weren't here, you just weren't going to hear it. And so early on, it was just people who did not think it was going to work because it took a little while to find that rhythm, to get the stride going and I mean, definitely being with people every single day, we did that show for 12 years and there definitely were some ups and downs on everybody's behalf of people like not getting along with each other and even not just the host, but also people behind the scenes, um, you know, things it have happened. It was real life. It was real life happening yeah. at work. Basically. I mean, there were times every, and even nothing to do with us, but personally, a lot of people have gone through things you know, where, I mean, at one point, Envy didn't think he was going to come back to the show at all while he was trying to deal with things, you know, in his home life. And so, um, you know, definitely a lot that we've gone through. But I also feel like as we all grow and change and hopefully become more mature and spread out into other businesses and things, work becomes the place where we see each other, not really outside of work. So sometimes that does help. You just have to figure out what's best because I think it's an issue when I've had jobs, when I was at Sirius where people hung out outside of that all the time. And sometimes that's not a good thing because then there's not that separation of work and you know outside pleasure like life. And so sometimes you don't want that. Sometimes you wanna feel like you're the producer, you tell us what to do. And I'm doing this and I want to be able to speak up and not be in my feelings about the fact that, oh, we was all just hanging out last night. Now I got to come here and switch up my role. And mm -hmm. so I, I think that in certain situations, it's, it is a better thing to not have to be all friendly, chummy, chummy with people. 
Mm. You had to stop establish business boundaries. Mm -hmm. you know, and it does, it makes it uncomfortable, you know, to um, speak up about business when you feel like you have a friendship with somebody because you don't want to hurt their feelings. You don't want to right. come off a certain way. So, okay. And sometimes yeah. people take advantage of you too if they feel like we're friends. And so you'd be like, yo, I'm not coming cover for me. Like, just act like this. And you're like, damn, this messes everybody else up. And, you know, so sometimes things just happen like that because I've seen it happen in other jobs. Even me being a business owner and seeing the issues that I have with some employees that get all friendly and hang out outside of work and then how that affects the workplace environment. Sometimes it's yeah. not a good thing. That's why sometimes they'll tell you also workplace relationships can be prohibited for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. so, so I have two questions. <clears throat> Where did you develop this confidence? Like being in, on the radio requires you to have some confidence, you know, and 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 even just doing this podcast, some days I'm like, Lord, did I say that right? You know, you can't go back and change it. It just is what it is. You might not know all the words you want to say. And, I, and I'm embracing, we on this show will be like, what's the word? Let me figure, let me go figure it out. I used to think you had to know. Now I know that everything is a journey. We all learning together. We mess up, we fix it, we figure it out. And that's it. But but I didn't want to do street politicians because I didn't want to put my um, uh, uh, imperfections on display. Now I don't care. But at the time, I, I really didn't want to do that. So that's one thing is where did you develop that confidence? And you feel like you just you have it now or is this still in process? And then the other thing is we all know that there's been challenges challenges between you and Lenard, you know, I still call, I call him Lenard, but Charlemagne, you know, issues on the show. How did it feel having to get up and go to work every day, especially prior to him apologizing to you publicly and, and you having to go there and be in the midst of that pain or whatever you felt, I don't want to, you, you know, give you words. How did you do that every day? Um, so for the first part of your question, I'll say, that it was hard for me at first to do radio and not know things because you feel like I'm supposed to know everything. And it does take a while to figure out that it may, you know, it's relatable. Everybody doesn't know everything, no matter what your job, there's no person in the world that does. And sometimes you mess up. The best thing to do is acknowledge that you mess up or even just say, I don't know. Sometimes it's hard for us to just say, I don't know. And I even feel like still to this day, people expect me to know everything just because I'm the one that's doing the news or I'm the one that's doing the rumors, but I don't know everything. It's like 50 stories a day that I'm reading. So sometimes some of the details I don't have. And so even if Charlamagne or Envy asked me a question, I'm like, well, y'all can also look stuff up too because we get the same notes. So I shouldn't have to know everything. Like, and so, and but people don't acknowledge that. Like, they'll be like, oh, Angela didn't know this this morning. I'm like, well, neither did the other two guys in the room. Why is it just me? You know? And so I feel like a lot comes on you and, that's the responsibility that you end up having to take because of the role that you have on the show. But I have realized now that there's just certain things out of your control and you just have to be like, I don't know, you know? And then as far, <laughs> as far as the challenges, yeah, it was definitely some challenging times for me. I made sure that I, you know, vocalized how I felt and then I moved past it. Cause another thing that I realized is that people don't really care, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you want to talk about something, you say it one time and move on. The more you talk about it, the people are like, oh, are you dragging it? They also don't know all the details and ins and outs of everything that happened. And I feel like sometimes the more you say about something, the more 
it takes on a life of its own. So part of me, yes, waking up in the morning, not being sure what I wanted to do, it did make me come up with a longer term plan of, of knowing that I needed to do my own thing. And mm -hmm. so even me getting my own show, Way Up With Angela Yee, that's something that I've been talking about. Even during those most challenging times, I was very vocal at work you know, with our executives about the fact that I want to do my own thing and how can we make this happen? And, you know, at first it was, we're going to give you your own show, but we want you to stay on The Breakfast Club. And in my head, the way that I think, I was like, I'll write that out for a little while, but I'm going to do so great on my own show that they'll want me to focus on that. That's what I was thinking. But then fortunately, they came at me and said, look, uh, we're just going to give you your whole own show nationally syndicated. It's a huge, huge honor. They said, we believe you. Um, we trust in you. We see the work that you put in. We know you're going to do an amazing job and you deserve it. And so mm -hmm. I was so relieved that I would be able to just focus on one thing. Cause I was also like, I'm about to have to bust my ass doing two shows and mm -hmm. I'm not even going to be able to enjoy my life. And so for me, this was just the ultimate best thing that could have happened. I'm glad that I was very professional about things and that I still was able right. to go to work, even though sometimes it can be challenging, but to still show up and do what I have to do. And, you know, I think a lot of people, if you pay attention, you'd be like, Angela doesn't seem like herself or, and I was oh, feeling yeah. that way. We could tell. Yeah. We could tell. Yeah. I was definitely <laughs> feeling that way also, but I also never went to let anybody feel like, you know, they got me to uh, be like, you know how you don't want to feel like somebody won or you got defeated in anything. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I always have to represent myself in the best way possible. And that was being a professional and knowing what my goals are and knowing that I have a longer term goal because I'm not a rash decision maker where I'm going to just be like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm out of here. It was never going to be that for me because I've done too much and worked too hard to not be able to reap the benefits of all the work I put in. Now, I just, you just always been a consummate professional. Like, you mm -hmm. know, even in those times, like, you know, I know you so, and I know all of you guys, so I'm able to sense and like, yeah, something ain't really right here, but you always still did your job. You came to work, you did things, you know, even, and I, and I admitted like when I understood what you was going through, because yeah. when I said certain things, I was like, nah, that ain't okay with me. And I had conversations like, nah, you probably shouldn't have did that off off you know off camera and all of that so i understood what you was going through but watching you just continuously move through those things and just grow it just it gave me just an understanding like a deeper understanding of what it takes to be in this business you know and so i just want to once again applaud you for being a professional and i know your show is going to be dope so what is it going is it going to comprise of like kind of what you do at the breakfast club with lip service like what is the show going to the format going to be, you know? So I was just coming from a meeting, yet another one about my show. And I have a lot of different segments that are planned out. I have so many segments, I'm going to have to cut some of them out because it's like, <laughs> ridiculous. they're like, all right, Angela. But they're excited because I have so many ideas. So um, certain things I want to do, I definitely want to be more tapped in with the community and the average everyday person. So it'll mm -hmm. definitely, obviously we'll have those interviews um, with celebrities and things like that. But I also wanna make sure that I'm doing things with, uh, you know, I have a segment that I'm planning with high schoolers that I'm gonna be doing. So we get to hear from them and get mm -hmm. their input because we care, we need to listen to what the kids are saying yeah, now absolutely. too in the next generation. 
And so there's something special I have planned for that. You know, there's roundtable discussions based on issues that, and I know both of y'all going to end up being on the show a lot, but, um, you know, uh, really important things that I want to discuss, entrepreneurship, financial wellness, those are really important things to me. And so any type of information that I can bring to people and that people can bring to me that I feel like we need to have this on the show, women's issues. Obviously, I care a lot about being a Black woman. A lot of what we just even talked about is something that's relatable to a lot of Black women, you know, being in the office or being in a workspace and feeling like you're not being heard or feeling like you have to go to work and fight every day just to be seen and understood and all of those things. And so being able to bring light to that in a real way, I'm excited for. Um, You know, I know right now I do front page news, but on the new show, I really want to do more stories that don't have to be the headline stories. And Mm so I'm just trying to make things a little more um, me because right now I'm part of a collective. So everything's not what Angela wants to do, but this is going to be more like, okay, I see that this is something that Angela came up with and it's going to be fun. You know, there'll be a lot of fun things happening. And it's, and it's, it's also not just what three individuals want there's a lot of pressure on your show because it's so big. So once something grows to be so big, there's advertisers, there are expectations. And I don't think people understand the ins and outs. And they just want you, why can't I, you know, people call me every other day, get me on a breakfast club. It's like, it's not that, that, it's like, it's it's not like that. You know what I mean? It's not that kind of environment. I can't, you can't, it's, it's, I get your point, but you're talking about something that you're doing in a small town in, you know, Connecticut somewhere and not saying that that's not important. I, I get it. The issue is important. Maybe somebody will do a live with you, but to bring you to this national platform and have you on the show it might not work out with all the other things they have going on, but people do not understand that. So mm-hmm. thankfully you got another, it, it is still going to be national, right? Nationally. Yeah, syndicated. It's nationally syndicated. I'll be on after the breakfast club. Okay. So, li- so literally they are my opening act. <laughs> hey, talk that talk. That's good. You know, <laughs> that's the main course, man. That's the appetizer. <laughs> That's good. You know, I, I wanted to just, and, and I know it's time for you to go. We can sit here and talk all day, just learning more about your story and just how you think. Um, you know, you when you talked about being a professional and how you said nobody really cares, that's such a powerful point, point because people think going to social media, complaining about all their problems or doing a million interviews, trying to make, you know, talk about who did you wrong or whatever, that that is going to make them feel better. And instead the internet tears back at you. That's just the way it works. They take, no matter who did what, they still will find fault. in even the person who's trying to express how they got harmed. And it, it, it just doesn't work. And the professional piece is so important because no matter where you go, even if, okay, Tamika did my son wrong or Tamika did Angela Yee wrong, they still don't want you to be problematic. Nobody right. wants to work with a person that's whining and complaining. They just don't want to do it. And it's messed yeah. up that the world is like that, but I'm sure yeah. you learned along the way, nobody cares. Yeah. And you know what? 
the flip side of nobody cares. And when I say like, you can go complain and do all this and people are like, ah, oh, shut up. Who asked you? Nobody cares. I got bigger problems. The flip side of nobody cares is nobody cares as much as you do. So something might be the worst, biggest thing in the world to you, but it's not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. On the flip side, you don't realize in two days, this all will blow over and no one really will care anymore. So just leave it alone. Because the worst thing that you could do is blow something up into an even bigger situation than it had to be. And mm -hmm. so there is two sides to the whole nobody cares. You know, it sucks because if you're going to social media to get some type of sympathy or empathy, it's not the right place no. for that to happen. It never works. I've tried it. And I'm telling you, <laughs> and I've watched other people do it. And then it ends up being... <laughs> you become the problem somehow. It's like, it's just, it's, it's a nasty world out here. So that's the last thing I want to ask. Not, and I know Mike's probably still- Talk I got two more things. Two more things that I want to Okay, go, yeah, you go. First thing I want to ask is, what is, like you've done so many different interviews. Like, so I've seen, you know, you got historical interviews. Like what is your favorite and what was your worst? And the second question is, have you done an interview that you regretted and was like, I probably shouldn't have, or lost a relationship based on an interview or, or anything like that, things that you might have regretted? Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever lost a relationship based on an interview necessarily. Not somebody that I cared about that I was like, you know, that was my friend before this and now they don't mess with me anymore. Because I also, I never have a, like a malicious intention when I do any interviews and anybody who really is my friend and knows that, knows that about me. So I wouldn't say I've lost any relationships. And I also, you know, it's interesting, like I was doing Black Entrepreneurs Day and, um, and Ice-T was there and he came up to me and he was like, you know, congratulations on your show. And I know Ice-T, but I don't know him that well, but I've interviewed him a couple of times. He doesn't do like a whole lot of interviews now. And he was like, you know, I just want to um, say that if you need me, let me know. He was like, I don't do a lot of stuff now, but I know you don't have bad intentions when you do. And it meant a lot to me because now that I do have my own show, I know some people like to be like shocking and quote unquote, say whatever's on their mind. And I don't always think that that's the best approach if you're thinking about longevity, you know, because I've learned a long time ago from my own experiences that people are human beings and nobody wants to be dragged or talked about in a degrading way. And so I've learned that a long time ago. And so I'm really conscious about how I speak about people and how I speak to them as well, especially with artists who are like pouring their heart into their work and their business. And this is what they do for a living. So I never wanna beat up on anybody that is really working hard at trying to accomplish something. I applaud you already for being able to put yourself out there like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, now whether or not I like it is a whole nother story, but that's something that a lot of people don't even try to do. And mm. so that's the approach. I don't even think evil thoughts about people. That's how, what I'm saying. When people will be like, oh, well, you, why didn't you do this? Or I would have said this, but these are real humans. And I think sometimes people don't look at other people, like, especially celebrities, like they're human beings that with feelings and they could have a terrible day after you say something unnecessarily nasty to them for no reason other than sometimes to try to be funny or make yourself feel better. And so I've always been really conscious of that. But as far as favorite interviews, um, I'm, I mean, there's been interviews that have really been impactful to me. 
uh, interviewing Issa Rae. I love Issa Rae. And so she's always, yeah, one of my favorites. Um, obviously, when I did the August Alcina interview, that was an amazing one because that was in the middle of the pandemic. Nobody was doing things in person. And other than even just what, you know, the bomb about Jada Pinkett and all of that, he said a lot of other great things in that interview and revealed a lot about himself that I thought was really, um, that people don't even talk about, you know, because everything else was just so, uh, <laughs> so gossipy, newsworthy. So I just feel like that was one of my favorites that I ever did too. Mm. And that's one, and it's one of my least favorites that you've done because of the fact that I'm so close to the Smiths. So yeah. it's like, you know, but, but that's life. You just, yeah. you know, you, you have moments when you can't control what's going to come out. And that's another side of being a public figure is you can't control moments that can happen in the second and it just, it hits. And then you got to deal with whatever it is that, you know, comes from that. And it's funny because to your point about trying not to hurt or harm people, you could work so hard on that every single day of your life and really be intentional about it. And then something will happen and you can't, it's like, you can't bottle it back up or try to fix it. It's like life is just so unpredictable, man. And right. I've learned that over time that, you know, once something happens, it just is what it is. You know, right. As long as it's not intentional, you, you know, I think some people intentionally are like, I'm gonna make this person. To. Yeah. yeah or I don't like this person. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to put this story out. And I don't, I'm not into that. Now I get that. Like, and a lot of times if I report something, if everyone else is reporting it, I feel like that's fine. But mm -hmm. if I know something that's in confidence that other people don't know, then I'm not going to do that. You know what I'm saying? And so that's just kind of some of the codes that I live by. If you do something in front of me and I'm like, damn, you know, should I, I'm not, not going to go back to Right. Yeah. Unless it's something, if it's something positive, yeah. But if, if something crazy happens, I'm not going to go on the air and be like, yo, so guess what I seen, whatever, whatever. And if there is something that is questionable, I'll ask you like, listen, do you mind if I report this or how would you like me to, you know, do you want to give me some more insight because I am going to report this story. But if everybody's doing it and it's on all the blogs and all of that, then it is a rumor report. Fair and game. I am, yeah, it's fair, fair game. game. Well, listen, it's, I mean, it's so much that's wrapped up in you and this little bitty package and Angela Yee, we know we so teeny, our little selves. I know, I was going to say, I know you're not talking about I, a little bit. I know I'm teeny. Aren't you, we, a, aren't you a grandmother now? A little I'm teeny grandmother. Grandma T is my name, Grandma T. <laughs> and, but we are so powerful, like in our own right. These, you know, and, and, and we've come from and have had to overcome so much to get into the places where we are, which is why don't play, we don't play about us. Like, don't play with me because I know what I've had to do. And, and that's the thing I wanted to say on the, you know, as you go back to your day, um, what do you, what would you say to people who believe that it's a pop-up thing. Like I'm just gonna become successful overnight because I'm cute. I got my good BBL. We done talked about that earlier <laughs> on the show, honey. The BBL is wow. Like people are really doing the most, like the most. People on the plane with their face on the seat and they gotta like be on their knees on the floor on the whole flight. I'm like, I can't do it. People are and risking their life. 
the Halloween concert with the little baby. Like we were just talking about that earlier in the show, just this whole thing with BBLs. Like I get it. I'm not trying to tell anybody not to get a nick and a tuck and do whatever you want to do. Take care of yourself, make yourself feel good. But we're at the point where social media, the internet has made us believe that we got to have like all this other stuff and body in order to, I don't even know what we're trying to accomplish, but I do know that there are a lot of folks. I have a, a friend who said, oh, I got to get my BBL because it's going to put me in a good position. It's the hard work part. It doesn't, it seems like that has missed people. Right. Like, all these yes. steps, you know? So I just want to want you to drop some gems about that today, the hard work and the process to get towards where you are in this moment. And, and the fact that it's not an overnight success. I actually am glad that things didn't come for me so quickly and so easily because I feel like I appreciate it so much more now. I feel like I'm so much more responsible being that I work so hard to get to where I am when it comes to my finances, when it comes to how I treat other people. I think sometimes people who are getting it too fast are kind of throwing things away and, and not acting the way that I think later on in life, they'll be proud of or not making decisions now that they would have made if they would have had that slower grind to get to where they are. Because when you get that fast money, that money goes fast too. You think mm. it's always going to happen and you don't know what it's like when it's not there. And so I just am appreciative of that. And also I feel like um, all this hard work that I put in has laid down a great foundation for me. Like I said earlier, I feel like I can go anywhere and do anything and I'm still making mistakes and I'm still learning, but I'm open to all of those things. Even when it comes to opening businesses, there's so many mistakes that I made in my first business that I've opened that every single time I learn a, I learn a whole lot more. And I've also, like I said, been going to people now that are doing the things that I admire and that I want to be able to do and asking for help and being able to do that. And then at the same time, as we're asking for help, we're helping others that are in a position that we were in a few years prior. But I just think that, you know, like I said before, if you're not putting in that work, if you ever read that book, Mastery by Robert Greene, he talks about the amount of hours and hours that it takes in years and decades to master anything. And if you are not trying to be great, it's one thing to be an artist, put out a song, it pops. You don't want to be a one-hit wonder though, right? You want to make sure that you're constantly working, that you're always in the studio, that you're connecting with the right people, that you're doing those collaborations, that you have a great producer, that you're always growing. Whether you're going to be independent or sign a deal, at least you know all of the ins and outs of the business so that you can make the right decisions. And I think sometimes if we don't have, um, have that history or have those mistakes that we've made and then come through on the other side, then it's harder to make the, the better decisions. Sometimes you're just living for the moment. Yeah. And so be a professional. <laughs> well, the whole we, interview, be a professional. <laughs> professional. This is, this is an interview that, that um, epitomizes professionalism. Mm. <laughs> you know, so we, first of all, we wanna say thank you for spending an hour out your day with us. We know you could have been doing so much other things. You're a ser serial entrepreneur and you got all, mutual many businesses just finished doing you know interviews with the radio and everything so we want to say thank you for that i want to wish you all the best i already know this show is going to be amazing and i'm gonna have probably about two or three segments that i got to listen to every day 
to tune in. You gotta be in. You gotta be in this thing. I mean, I'm gonna be in. I'm definitely gonna be a big give. Give well, my, definitely going to be on the show. Let's be clear, okay? Definitely going to be that, man. But I just want continued success, man. You're one of those people that deserve it. You always have a smile. Even when you're not happy, you got a smile on your face. So you want your spirit. is You know, it's certain people. I was somebody, I just seen like a little clip of, that Kevin Hart put up about certain people's spirit just deserve good things. Mm. You know, since I've, ever since I met you, you always had a beautiful spirit. You know, so you are definitely one of God's pe people who have been ordained to do this work and bring joy into people's lives. So continue to do what you're doing. I see you have, is this a essential hustler shirt you got on? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Shout out to Harry O who, who still hasn't given me mine, you know, but I'm, 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 I'm waiting. Get for, I got no, like no, three of them. My childhood oh. friend since about 10 years old, I still haven't got mine, but you know, we ain't gonna talk I'm about- I'm gonna get you one too, Tamika. <laughs> yeah, I would like to have, please. Shout, out, shout out to daddy, shout out to my, my, my hope dealers huh? who on. So, you know, listen, we gotta give our shameless plugs. Well, listen, you don't have to get up at, we didn't get to ask you about that, but now you don't have to get up at the crack of dawn every day. You can sleep uh -huh. a little bit later in the morning. So that is, listen, that's a good thing. I might have to take the train to work though, because that's like rush hour. I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. How you get there. Straight through. Wait, Angela, before you go, are the rats still outside your building, your house, or are we better now? It's not even just that. It's walking to my car. It's like I have to walk outside and just be really loud because I do not want them to be scurrying around. There are rats everywhere in Brooklyn, okay? It is not a game. It's yeah. everywhere in Manhattan. They're everywhere. There's nowhere to go. And just for context, for people probably like, what the hell are you asking about the rats? I heard Angela say on the radio that in the morning, she was trapped in her house, scared to go outside because when she went to go out, there, she saw in the street they were scurrying, and so yep. she almost was I late. Up and I immediately hit up my people that work in the mayor's office and was like, "Yo, y'all got Angela Yee trapped in her house here. Like, what are we doing?" Because I'm on them about rats all the time. My son it's knows. Terrible. I call them. I report the rats, the street, the corner, the time. I take pictures. I am a rat finder in New York. You hear? I'm like the. You old know what's terrible? It's me and my neighbor. We were just talking about it just yesterday, right? Because I have a neighbor on the other side and there's like too much going on in that house. It's disgusting. It's dirty. And she said the exterminator came in was like, until that house on the corner, they do something about that. Those rats aren't going anywhere. It's that house on the corner. And oh, so you um, mean yeah. just text me on the low, the address okay. to the house. And I'll make oh, no, sure they don't. I might need my son to come through and go knock on their door. Because, <laughs> yo, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I, I cannot live. Oh. I cannot but live. But can I tell you something? I saw the woman king and I walked out of there and I felt like I can't let these rats beat me. I just seen the woman there king. You go. There you go. I was ready to fight. I you was like, you know fight. what? Go on and you are crazy. You was like, nah, but I bet you, I bet you one thing. You can talk that junk all you want. I bet you're not finna fight them rats outside. <laughs> I'd rather go to war. <laughs> Send me away. I'm not dealing with you. Thank no. you so much, Angela. You be we love you so Ange. much. I love you guys. Looking Keep forward great. to way up with ye. Yes, way up with Angela Ye. All, all right. the way up. Hello!
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That was that was our friend Angela Yee, man. I, I you know I wanted to, always wanted to. I'm always used to her interviewing me, asking me questions. So to be able to ask her some questions, the icon that she is, you know, she's iconic. Like she worked with Wu Tang. Like she was, she's worked so many different places, and a lot of people never knew that. So that's why I wanted to ask a couple questions about that. But um, she's a secret weapon. Oh yeah, but she ain't really that much of a secret. She's just a well, weapon. No, but the way in, in different areas, the way she moves around, she's not loud and boisterous. You don't, you know, it's not like when she's in the room, everybody's gonna be like, oh, here comes Angela. She slips in and then her presence is just felt and known. And I like that about her. I think that's what, you know, even though I know I talk a lot and I am loud and all of that, but still, I try to approach rooms and spaces the same. And I can imagine that she and I have a similar thing around me, you know, not like calling everybody for tickets and, you know, trying to be the one in the space, even though she gets way more invitations. Absolutely. But, and she should, because she's in the culture and really connected like that. But, you know, I just have never known her to be pretentious. And I try to also have that about me, that humbleness that we don't have to always show up and, and, and you know, and suck all the air out the room, even though we do, because we cute, but, you know, that's another thing. Okay. Well, listen, dope interview, you know, and um, that gives me a little, because it's not really much of a leeway, because it's completely different, you know, topics, but my, um, I don't get it today. So I know everybody's been watching this this um Jeffrey Dahmer thing. And you know, there's been a lot of different reviews. I mean, I, I started watching, I haven't finished watching it because you know, I don't really have enough time to just be sitting around watching Dahmer. So there was this article, I can't find it right now, but I will hopefully they'll show it. And it was saying how fans of Jeffrey Dahmer went to his father's house and they were throwing 
panties at the father's house. But how do you become a fan of Jeffrey Dahmer? That's I, what that, I that's the first question that I but that, but that was the whole thing. That was the whole premise. Like the whole premise for me, because I'm still looking for it, because I don't want people to just think I'll be just making stuff up. But I could not believe, and I said fans, like what does that look like? Look. It said Jeffrey Dahmer fans allegedly showed up at his dad's home and threw panties onto his driveway. When did we get to the point where we are fans of a serial killer who cut and ate people? Like we celebrate that. This is the person that we, we that we follow. And, and it's it's very telling about the times that we, you know, like where we talk about idols, you know, people idol worship, you know, and it don't matter what you do, people find some level of genius or positivity in the most dumbest and negative shit. And I just, I, I, I can't wrap my mind around it. You know, I, don't matter how hard I try, you know, how people idolize and they have respect for people and things that don't even deserve respect. And it's, it's such a, and, and it's not, and you, when you say these things, they say you're hating, oh, you're just mad. And it's not, it's not really not just mad. I'm really confused. You know, I've never been one for me, for you to, for me to follow you, for me to look up to you, for me to have respect for you. There are criterias, right? There are certain criterias that you have to meet. And it, and, it, and none of them are about the money that you have and the fame you have. Right. right. Those are, those are not criterias that puts you in an elite space in my mind, in my heart, for me to think that you, you know, that you deserve some level of, you know, hierarchy or, you know, praise. And, and we're in a time where those are the main things. You ask people anything. You know, people say, Yo, you, I, I don't deal with morals. You know, that's, that ain't have nothing to do. That's too much. You know, well, you can't really judge if you, come from a moral standpoint is everybody is flawed. No, but everybody is flawed. But some people are intentional about trying not to be flawed morally. We all make mistakes. We all do things and we all can be judged. But when you are intentionally doing things that are morally wrong on a consistent basis, when you're intentionally playing on the emotions, when you're intentionally doing these things, you know, there should be a consequence for that. Like, well, I, mean, I think I, I don't I think the word I said this to you before, I think using the word moral <laughs> is very, very sticky because none of us live morally 100 percent pure. We all fall short of the glory of God, every single one of us. And I think when you use the word moral, people are triggered because they know that that is a too that's too high of a standard for man to define people's moral standings that's god's job i think though that what we can talk about is a level of righteousness and also call things that we see happening that's dangerous to our people ourselves our community or whatever it is so we, is, the righteousness is is, is a moral it's yeah, really, but it's it's very to me when I hear morals, morals, it is to it is defining a lot more than just a person doing something wrong today or 
acting out or saying something wrong. It's like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that my parents, they didn't do everything right with me as they raised me, right? There was things that, that didn't go right. There's things that my father didn't do well in his marriage to my mother early on. But I don't think that takes away from his morals. I think it means that he did some wrong shit. And I wouldn't even say mistakes. I would say he, he did some, he, he made some choices that were poor. But I think when we start talking about morals, it, it goes to a place that none of us could actually stand up to. None of us. Because if you peel back the layers and the onions of all of our lives, from what we've done to what we do to what we will do. But the, I think that's what it is, right? I think it's your own moral compass, right? So if, because the thing is this, it's like, it's like you saying, it's like a person saying, yo, we both, we both had sex with somebody else, but you had sex with a 14 year old and I had sex with a 25 year old, right? And people say, well, it doesn't matter. We both have a, to, you, but that's what I'm trying to explain to you. Because the reality is in your mind, there's no comparison. No, no, right? it's not, it's no, no. What do you mean no? No, no. It's a more, it's a, a, it's a, I think that is a, I think the only way you can make that this is my uh, the example that I would have used to describe what you're saying uh -huh. is to say that, you know, I cheated once you cheated five times and I could sit here and say, well, once is OK, but five times was too much or I cheated for two years. You can't have but, a but let me just finish. OK, but sleeping with a child as a grown man is a whole different thing that is predatory. But We're not talking because you can't 25 year old and a year old are not even the same. But, but, you're not, but you're not listening. That's what my whole thing is. You're saying exactly what I'm trying to say, right? I'm saying when, when I'm talking about my moral compass, right? I've, I'm not perfect, right? And it's certain shit that I've done that the average person, I think the average person has done the shit that I've done wrong, right? But there's certain shit that people who are innately or intentionally trying to be evil, intentionally don't have good natures, they do differently, right? The shit that we do that that most of us make fall short upon, everybody's not gonna tell the truth all the time. Some people might have infidelity, certain shit like that. These are age old things that 95% of the culture has dealt with in one the way. Of the world. I mean, of the world. Culture. Not just the culture of the world of the world has dealt with. So this is these are relatable things that we can all look at. I don't know about ninety five percent, but okay. I mean, I don't. I, I get your point that a lot of people have experienced the same issues, and some of the things that you're talking about are things that's really detrimental, and that's fine. I get it. I'm still no, saying, huh? So the, mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I'm saying. So the things that I, I'm I understand. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I'm just only trying to be cautious myself of, you know, I just think morality is a very high call. It's a very high call. So that's all I'm saying. And so therefore, when you know the art of communication, and we've learned this, we have this same discussion amongst ourselves about our business deals, all the things that we do together. 
where we have to sometimes check the level, our communication levels, so that we understand when you're talking to another person, it's not about you, but it's about what you're trying to communicate to them and how they receive information. So I already know over time, like I know that when I'm talking to Angelo um, or, you know, when I'm when I'm talking to you, especially you, I can't necessarily I can't approach the conversation accusatory. I have to approach the conversation by being like, hey, I want us to examine this situation and figure out what do we do to get better. Now, I'm not good at that all the time. Sometimes I do come to the conversation like you did this and you did it and that's and that and that automatic I can see the wall come up. Right. So when you're trying to communicate with people as my son and you start talking about morals, it it, 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 it impacts the people you're communicating with a certain way because they, they that's where it seems like you think you're sitting on this high horse. No, but it's not even that. It's that we all have a, our own moral compass. It, and, and that's each individual should have that. You should have for you what it is. Standard. That's, I would say standard. That's what I'm saying. Standard it's compass just, is the same thing. It's you, you, you able to, to weigh and figure out what is for you. Like, because you can't say, yo, yo, you need to hang out with me because you went to jail before and I went to jail before. No, we went to jail for different things. And the shit that you went to jail for, I would never do. So just because we share the same space, we both are convicted felons, doesn't mean that we on the same, that we on the same level. I mean, to me, you might, you might think it's okay. Certain shit that you think is okay is not okay for me. And I have I think words matter. I just think words matter. That's all I'm saying. So anyway, it is what it is. The point is that Jeffrey Dahmer ain't no goddamn person for nobody to be making a fan. A lot of people now he is killing people, people, preying on people, drugging people, raping people, and doing all kinds of crazy shit. And if you if that's if you a fan of his, you need some help. You should probably talk it, to somebody. It is really crazy for you to follow Jeffrey Dahmer. Like the the panties, like. So what do you want him to do? Eat you alive? Like what is the goal? They might have thought he was sexy. Let me tell you something. You will be surprised about the things that turn people on. Because even in porn, like in the in the porn world, which we should do a show on porn. But even because, you know, I, I was going to. No, we should. Because I heard I didn't get to ask Angela about a conversation that she was having with Spice Girl on lip service. I think it was Spice Girl. Yeah. Where she said that um she doesn't she she thinks that if you masturbate right that it would be it's like an evil demon or something oh, yeah, that she's having sex, sex with a sex demon exactly but you know people some people that's that same scenario spills over into other areas like you know watching porn and all of that so i just think that it's a it's a conversation cuz a lot of people are a lot of people seem to be interested. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. But the reason why I brought that up is because even within the porn industry, not because I know for sure, it's just, you know, just I, I, I read about it. <laughs> there happens to be different types of, of different um, genres in the industry. Exactly. So there's different fetishes. So maybe somebody is role-playing murder, uh kidnapping um 
all kinds of crazy freak shit that people are into. And they might've been turned on when they watched Dharma eating, but shit, he was doing it and he was turned on by it. So it must be another nut that's out here that likes that shit too. Yeah, it's a nut, definitely a nut. And with that said, <laughs> we are gonna come to the end of this show. Shout out to Angela Yee for the, her dope interview. Make sure that y'all tune in for Way Up With Yee. It's gonna be an amazing show. Way Up With Angela Yee, she said. Oh, Angela Yee, okay, Way Up With Angela Yee. She's all the way up, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I look forward to that. Um, thank y'all for making us the number one show in the world. Street Politicians, number one show. You know, we are very grateful. Our, not but on the real, our fan base is growing is because of yeah. y'all. I guess we're resonating more. Y'all giving us ideas. Continue to send us ideas to our Instagram, Street Politicians Pod. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Give us, you know, ideas for what shows you want to hear about, who you want us to interview, and we're gonna try to make it happen, man. So once again, we want to say we love you. And Continue to be great. I'm not gonna always be right. Tamika D, Grandma T Mallory, it's not gonna always be wrong. But we will both always, and I mean always, be authentic. Peace. Peace. Listen to Street Politicians on the Black Effect Network on iHeartRadio. And catch us every single Wednesday for the video version of Street Politicians on iWoman.tv. That's how we own it! Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. 
Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.